looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. Hey, I know we have a lot of horror fans that listen to our shows, and I know things have been tough for everybody across the board these past six or seven months with what's been going on in the real world, but I wanted to make a suggestion to you horror fans, because I know part of the normal routine year in and year out is to attend different conventions to meet some of your favorite horror stars. However, none of us have been able to do that because of obvious reasons. But I do have a little suggestion for you. SignatureHorror.com Now, some may ask, what is that? Well, they obtain autographs for the fans from some of their favorite stars, from some of their favorite franchises. Whether it be the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. They have different options such as, besides getting their autographs, you can do live Zoom calls with your favorite stars. You can do personalized videos for people, greetings of some sort. They just have many options. So if you're looking for to spend some money that you may have spent at conventions, check them out and see the options they have signaturedhorror.com that's right signaturehorror.com
Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Hey, this is Kenny Aronoff from Uncommon Studios LA, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. It's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. And I'm Elena, your favorite host from the Emerald Isles. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. The man on a line has been the pride of Stockbridge, Massachusetts and has been involved many of those within the music industry. John Mellencamp, Sir Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Rolling Stones, Lady Gaga, Bruno Mars, Sting, Bob Dylan, Springsteen, Seeger, Dave Grohl, B.B. King, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Bon Jovi, Steven Tyler, Smashing Pumpkins, John Fogarty, and more. All of those musicians have something in common. So the question would be, what is that common thread? The answer, this guest, Kenny Arnoff, performed with all of them as their drummer, keeping the beat in the studio or on the road. Let's welcome Mr. Kenny Arnoff. Mr. Arnoff, it's the finally hook up with you. My apologies for the last time. Don't want to make it public, but I'm glad I finally got to hook up with you. That's but, right. We were supposed to do this, and something suddenly happened. And then, yeah, yeah. medically. So, but that's, oh, my God. So, well, you know what? There's a purpose for everything. We, we're, we're, we're here now, and this is all good, you know? Yeah. So, I'm going to go with the obvious, and I know you mentioned, you know, the the winter album and different things you got you're trying to work on but i want to go back a little further 1964 beatles on the ed sullivan show and you're not the only one that this appearance really struck a chord with but yeah what for you made that appearance special for well i mean i was just a little kid there was nothing to watch on tv so we were always outside playing and um uh, you know, no cell phones, no video games, no nothing. So we were always outside. And my mom yelled at me and my brother to come inside immediately. And we thought we were in trouble. And I, we come running across the lawn and we get inside my head's down because I usually was in trouble. And she's, <laughs> point, she's pointing to a black and white uh, TV set, you know, with the rat t- antennas 
rabbit ears and the tinfoil on to get better reception because I grew up in Western Mass in the hills, beautiful part of Western Mass. Anyway, on the TV was, you know, four guys with long hair with suits and electric guitars and drums and bass, and they broke in, it was the Beatles, they broke into a song, and um, um, I, I just went bouncing off the walls. I mean, I was electrified. I was, it was magnetic, and, you know, that was, as I look back, that was the moment where I realized what my purpose in life was before I even knew what those words meant. I mean, I had never experienced rock and roll. It was exhilarating. It was off the charts. It was like taking drugs or something. And so I said to my mom, not knowing who they were, I said, Mom, who are these guys? She said, they're the Beatles. And I went, well, I want to play in the Beatles. You know, get me in the band, you know, call them up. And, you know, that was my naive way of saying, I got to do this. And, she, of course, she didn't call him up. And I said, forget about the piano lessons. It's drums now. And I want a drum set. She didn't get me a drum set either. But I did start my own band about two weeks later called the Alley Cats. And we started learning Beatles songs. I was self-taught. And that was um, that was the magic moment. But, but before I end answering the question, the amazing thing I want the viewers to know is 50 years later, Obviously, I've become very successful uh, as a uh, member of the John Mellencamp band and then becoming a hugely successful session drummer and on onward and onward. Uh, but I get a call 50 years later to be on a CBS special called The Night That Changed America to honor those Beatles for that Ed Sullivan show that I saw that 72 million Americans saw. And I get to play drums now with Ringo and Paul McCartney. So, geez. Wow, what a what an incredible story. What a great dreams come true. But I will add one more thing to that, and that is it didn't come by accident. I got that call because I had been busting my ass ever since then and have gone after my career with, with so much gusto and hard work and self-discipline and perseverance to uh, that made it me so... Uh, relevant and so happening 50 years later that I was even considered to do that 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 show so it's this it didn't happen by accident yeah you beat me to the punch about mentioning a show but with that answer I think of a an old grateful deadline what a long strange trip it's been yeah well in their case it was a trip for sure <laughs> but, hey, but not judging yeah <laughs> oh, I'm not judging at all. Who am I to judge? Yeah, all exactly. I'm trying to do is make you feel good. That's my whole thing. Make people feel good. Uh, but um, yeah, it's been a long journey. You know, when I, you know, um, I look back and you connect the dots, I start to see, wow, driven by purpose. That was a serious theme in my life. When, you know, I, I, you know, go through college, I go through high school playing in bands and it's time to go to college and there's no school of rock. So long story short, I did five years of intensive classical training uh, for at the number one school of music for classical, which is an Indiana university. One summer at the Aspen School of Music run by Julia and then one summer at Tangwood run by the Boston Symphony Orchestra. These are student uh, orchestra programs you have to audition to get into. Uh, and then I get to the Jerusalem Symphony Orchestra. So in five years, I went from not, not hardly being able to read music to getting in the Jerusalem Symphony Orchestra, working my ass off 365 days a year, and I turn it down. 
because, and I was shocked, and so was everybody else, but it was because I was driven by my purpose. Thank God I listened to my heart and not my brain because my heart was telling me, you want to play in a rock and roll band. I want to still be basically in the Beatles. And so that was a moment in my life where I was driven by purpose, turned down certainty for complete uncertainty. Four years later, I finally get my big break with John Mellencamp. And five weeks later, I'm in the studio making this amazing, I'm making a record. I mean, here's a guy who's one of the newest guys on the, the new network called MTV. He's all on the radio. He's playing on tours. I'm finally going to be making a record. I'm ecstatic. I tell the whole world I'm jumping up and down. I'm excited. And two days into that record, I get I get uh, fired. And when and and once again, because of purpose, when he told me to go home, uh, I told him no. I ain't going nowhere. There's no friggin' way I'm going anywhere because back then it was just fear. I was run by I was being motivated by fear. But the bottom line was when I look back, it's like no, he was taking away my purpose. I knew this is what I wanted to be. I finally got there, and he's saying no. You're not making a record. And the reason why I want people to know this is the producer had only eight weeks to make the record, Steve Cropper, and he wanted seasoned session musicians, especially the drummer, to be able to, that had experience making records that get on the radio that become number one hit singles. I had no experience doing that. Didn't matter I worked with Leonard Bernstein or one concerto competition and gotten it. That had nothing to do with making records that get on the radio. It's a specific skill set, and I had no experience. And so that's one thing. But the bottom line is telling John Mellencamp I'm not going home and, and saying, look, dude, I, I literally got in his face out of fear. Uh, am I still the drummer in your band or what? What's going on here? And he backed off a little bit, and then he said, well, yeah, you are, but you're not playing on this record. And then I said, well, scrambling. I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in the studio and watch these drummers play my part, so I'm going to learn from them, and I'll get better, and I'll benefit from that. And, and then I looked at him. I said, you'll benefit because I'm your drummer, right? Silence. I'm telling you, I was freaking. Finally, I looked at him. I said, all right, all right. You don't have to pay me. I'll sleep on the couch, but I'm not going home. And he said, okay. And it was at that point that I learned, that was the beginning of me understanding how to serve the artist, serve the song, serve the team. It's not about me. It's about the band. It's about the song. And that was the beginning of me understanding how to be a member of a band or a team. And obviously that served me well. And, you know, two years later, I had my big break. Uh, on the record, Jack and Diane is. A, I saved that song. It was off the record. It wasn't going to be on the record. Uh, I walk in the studio and someone's got this metal box. It's a Lin One drum machine. I freak out because I'm thinking I'm getting replaced now by machines. I grab the thing. I program it. I'm in the control room. I'm in the lounge, freaking out, going, "God damn." I got replaced by two humans two years ago. Now I'm getting replaced by machines. What is going on? And um, long and short is I, they wanted me to play a drum break after the second chorus. And I came up, I knew I had to come up with something. At this point, I understood how to serve the song, serve this artist. I had to come up with something that would just explode on the radio, that would be simple, that would come out of TV sets, come out of, you know, whatever radios, wherever they are. 
and I came up with that drum solo that's one of the most air-drummed solos on pop music today still, 38 years later. And, you know, long and short of it, I saved my ass and saved and made John Mellencamp millions of dollars. I mean, I was the perfect team player to bring to bring money to the corporation. And, um, and the rest is history, you know? Well, you beat me to the bunch about or beat me to the punch with that, yeah, uh, bringing up that song. No, it's all, all good. Now, is that my question with that? With that would be, did you have an idea going when you sat down, or was it just from your heart, like you mentioned earlier? Well, that's a great question. Um, well, thank God we spent the whole day working on drum sounds because if you back then in 1981, drums were usually recorded in small rooms, like vocal booths, so they could control the sound. To get a big drum sound, John thought you needed to get, like, you know, the the, the drum sound, uh, the big drum solo in the air tonight by Phil Collins. That was not a big drum kit, and it was not done in a big room. But now John thought we got to get the biggest drum sound in the world. So we put it in a big room, and nobody was knew, the, the engineer, everybody there hadn't had experience how to get, you go from the close mics on the drums to the overheads that gives you a kind of an, a little bit of an ambient sound to the room mics that's, the further they are away, the more decay there is. And you've got to get the, you have to position those mics to get the right sonics and also to get the perfect decay from close mic to overhead to room mic. This was all new. We spent the whole day tuning and adjusting and trying. That whole time I was going, all right, what is your entrance going to be? What is your entrance? And that's where I came up. Doosh, 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 boom, blam. I call it the K kabam. Kenny Aronoff, bam. Kabam. And that, I stopped right there. And I, I looked in the control room and everybody gave me the thumbs up because I loved this entrance. It was simple. It, it, it was right to the point. And then I did not have anything worked out. So what I thought I'd do, start with, something that I was familiar with, which was the drum program, which was goo, 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 goo. And instead of going down the toms like everybody, I thought, I'll go up the toms. I did, and I hit a dead end. And next thing you know, I'm in the control room. I got it in one ear, people telling me what to do. The other ear, people telling me what not to do. And I suddenly realized, man, this is up to you to save your career right now. No one is going to give you the answer. You have to figure this out. I started heading back to the drum set uh, 50 feet away, and I go, dude, how are you going to save your career? 40 feet, what are you going to play? 30 feet, I don't know. 20 feet. Dude, this is it, man. This is it. Hit a home run, win the World Series, or go home. 20 feet, 10 feet, I don't know what I'm going to play. I get to the drums. I'm looking at them. I'm looking at them. I look at my drums, and finally I go, you know what? Instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I gotta I'm just gonna take what I already know and kinda reposition it. It would be like if you saw a room with furniture and you hate the furniture or you hate the way it's set up, you got two choices. Get new furniture or just re um arrange. Rearrange it. And then uh, that's what I did. I rearranged it. So I started I played that same drum beat, but started it an eighth note later. And I went up the drums, and then John said, hit a cymbal. I hit a cymbal, and I came down the drums, kind of imitating Phil Collins, and then added a triplet thing. And, I mean, long long story short, the rest is history. I came up with it on the spot, 
And we didn't even know it was going to be a single. All we knew was that I think it's good enough to get on the record, on the album. So when the album came out, they released Hurt So Good as the first single, which, you know, the drums were mixed way up front. John wanted our records to blow any song that came on the radio before us and dwarf any song that came after us, which he did. And uh, Hurt So Good was kicking ass, and then they decided... It was like in the top 10, and it was starting to just come down a little bit, and they decided to release Jack and Diane. They just felt it had tested really well, I guess, on radio, and um, they decided to do it. It was a risky move because it's a different kind of song, and uh, they released it, and that song went flying up the charts, and then Hurts So Good didn't leave the top 10. Now we got both in the top 10, which is a big statement. New artist? And two songs in the top 10. And as you well know, back then, top 100 singles, radio, when you were number one back then, that means you were on every radio station in the, in the planet, plus MT. You know, there's so many different radio, so many different charts now that if you could be number one on a chart, it doesn't mean anything. This meant a lot. This was huge. This was the the big chart. And so uh, we had two, two singles in the top 10. And all of a sudden, you know, John's career took off and mine was launched it was that was like who is that guy playing that drum solo and that was it man the rest is history it was extraordinary oh unbelievable but and the kit what we uh, mentioned in the intro is just the cast of i mean this with all respect cast of characters from the rolling stones to john to oh yeah Gaga to dylan you know you it's like all over the place that's okay. Do you nail? You just said something that's so fortunate for me in my career, because you usually get labeled as, "Well, he's a rock drummer, or he's a country drummer, he's a jazz drummer, he's a blues drummer," and somehow I broke all the rules. I mean, I'm on. I mean, the same drummer that recorded and got asked to tour with the Highwaymen. That's Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Chris Christophers, and Wayne and Jennings. Doesn't go on tour with the Smashing Pumpkins, the biggest alternative band in the world. The same guy doesn't do that. And then then he's playing, like you said, Lady Gaga, Bruno Mars, you know, Chris Cornell, uh, you know, uh, uh, John Mellencamp, Springsteen, B. B. King. Sting, B.B. King. Yeah, let's go to the blues. Ray Charles, B.B. King, a uh, buddy guy. Then I'm on tour f- and recording for 10 years with Joe Cocker, one of the greatest rock and roll singers ever. Then I'm with Fogarty for 27 years, Mellencamp for 17. What about Avril Lavigne and Melissa Etheridge, uh, Celine Dion, uh, Alanis Morissette, uh, you know, uh, the girls, Avril Lavigne, uh, Michelle Branch. Uh, then you, you jump over to the Buddy Rich Big Band playing jazz, recording two songs on their record, playing with Leonard Bernstein, Hans Zimmer, Aaron Copeland in the classical world. Not 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 the third tier of people, the top of what they do. And then, you know, I, I mean, it just goes on and on. That's extraordinary. And, and to still be doing it at that level is a very, I, I can't even say, I can't sit there and, I mean, some of the credit I can take is that I work hard, I'm self-disciplined, I persevere, and I'm uh, and I'm a good team player, and I have a great connecting, communicating, and collaborating skills. But I mean, I didn't sit there and and plan this out. So 
in some ways, I can't even take credit for it. I just executed it. I was born with certain skills, and I'm making the use of my skills. Thank you, Mom. I didn't drive. I didn't make the car. I'm just driving it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to go back because you were talking about the setup of the mics with the drum kits and all when you were with John, yeah. and you made me think of I'm a big Eagles fan. Yeah. And. I remember during their documentary, Don Henley was talking about a similar setup. Yeah. That they when they were I can't think think of the producer's name out of England. Oh, is it Glenn Johns? Because I've yes, worked with that, him. Glenn, Glenn Johns. Johns. Unbelievable and, producer. Yeah, and they were talking he was talking about when they were over in England working on their first or second record. I don't remember what it was. And they wanted to go with that Led Zeppelin. We yeah. want we want that the drums to be as loud as possible. Yeah. Like you're saying with John. So is there a particular project with certain artists that really stand out for you? Well, I mean, so many, I mean, there's too many. I mean, are you talking about in the recording world or in the, um, in the, the, the live world or both? I guess we can go with both. Well, this is a tough one, man. How do I delineate between, how amazing it was to work with the Rolling Stones in this studio. And then, you know, and then uh, Mick Jagger on his solo records and then Sting and Springsteen live and then Jerry Lee Lewis and, 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 um, and um, Little Richard with Fogarty live at the Grammys, but then Dave Grohl and then Jeff Lynn and, and, um, you know, Joe Walsh and then, I just jump over to Don. I've 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 played live with Don Henley, uh, uh, Joe Walsh. Uh, I recorded with Glenn Frey. Uh, I, I mean, I've done almost all the Eagles. Uh, I you know then Elton John live. I and recorded with him, and he asked me to go on tour and the Smashing Pumpkins. It's like whoa, where do I, where do I? John Bon Jovi, Blaze of Glory. I I don't know what where to begin and end. It's all great. It's all just. It's not like one guy. They're like. You know, I'm looking up there, Bob Seger. Holy shit, I did his 1996 tour and recorded albums with him, sold out arenas. It's like, it's ridiculous how blessed I am. Joe Cocker singing a little help for my friends. Songs he did at Woodstock. Fogarty, the whole Creedence catalog. I mean, any one of these things would be a, a gold mine. It would be the, the, you know, like, wow. You did that. Ray Charles. Can you imagine playing with Ray Charles? Oh, my God. God damn. I mean, I was five, in fifth grade when I saw Ray Charles with my mom and dad. How about Herbie Hancock? I played <laughs> with her. Herbie Hancock at the Kennedy Center Honors. I mean, you can't. And, and also at the Obama inauguration. I mean, God. It goes on. I mean, I've done Beyonce. I played with, with uh, you know, Josh Groban at the at the uh, Obama inauguration. Uh, oh man, it's it's it just goes on and on and on. I, I don't, I don't. You know, it's extraordinary. I can't well, pick one. Totally get that. But when you uh, are going to work with uh, somebody's artist for the first time, do you like to talk with the artist, or do you already know where you're going to go with their particular style and product? I like to go right to the artist, and I call that connecting. Just completely go right to them, connect, communicate, so that I feel have a rapport with them, and then uh, and then we can collaborate. I mean, I'm very you know every artist is different, um, you know, 
like one record I did was with, with Tony Iommi from Sabbath, and I did two records with him. One I just did one, uh, two songs, and the other I did the whole album with Glenn Hughes. You know, I went right up to Tony when I walked right in. He's a sweet guy. But then Billy Corgan came in, who was producing the first one, or wrote the, the on the first Iommi song uh, album called Iommi. He, uh, you know, different different personality. And I have to learn how to adapt and adjust to each guy, but I go right to them, you know, uh, because I want I want to have a a rapport with them, so because we're making music, you know, I'll go right up to Sting, Springsteen, Elton John, uh, I go right up to presidents. <laughs> I went right up to Bill Clinton, shook my hand at I did uh, two shows where I got to meet him at the Ford Theater. Another blessing in my career. One was with Bon Jovi and the next year was with Fogarty. It was the Ford Theater. That's where Abraham Lincoln got shot. Only 200 people were there. A ton of secret service at, at multiple levels. Some you recognize. Some they were in disguise. Some looked like, you know, Navy SEALs that were like filled with armor and weapons. And uh, Bill Clinton's right at the peak of the Monica Lewinsky uh, situation. is sh He's walking down. It's a variety show. So at the end of the show, you've got Oh, maybe 20 different, you know, uh, artists on stage. And, and he gets to us with a rock and roll band and he shakes our hands. And the year before, I just was in awe shaking his hand and, and Hillary. And then he went by us and went to David Copperfield. Then he came by us. It'd be like the credits were rolling. And that's where I broke into talking to him. I just said, hey, hey, Mr. President, I got to tell you something. I was just in New York City recording, and I was in L.A. recording. And I told everybody I was coming here, and they said, man, you got to tell them we love them, we support them. And, dude, that's connecting and communicating, right? Well, mm -hmm. then he grabbed my hand, shook it, then he grabbed my forearm and pulled me in real close, looked me right in the eye and smiled, you know, with his incredible charm and said, dude, you know, they've been trying to get me out of office for six years. It ain't going to happen. He just said that right to me. like, And there's an example of how when you connect with somebody and you start communicating with them a certain way, they want to collaborate with you. They want to share with you. And that was the whole point of that story is that so I do do that. It's natural for me to do that, but it, it serves me well also. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned him, Clinton. I was a history major in school, and when you when it, obviously you hear all the, the newsworthy stuff, and we were yeah. talking a little bit about that prior to starting, but there was just always something about Clinton, the, like you said, with the handshake and grabbing of your forearm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You, you always hear that the personality. You always heard that about him. It was it was a, it's a gift because not if even if he's not shaking your hand. You, you, if you're in the room watching how he focuses on somebody and really gets, and, and he, apparently he remembers people's names real well, but you observe him and you see the way he's treating people, and that's, that's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Very, so, very, very cool guy. So I guess we've talked about it a little bit here, but how does one become such a sought-out drummer? Or short after, I should say. Well, there's no rules. It's not like I got a manager. I never had a manager. It's not like um, um, 
it, it, there's no like exact, if somebody followed my steps, which you can't do anyway because the whole music business has changed, but that doesn't mean like go to LA and do this. I made moves. I, uh, I did things like uh, that made me, uh, <coughs> created a brand, a buzz. <coughs> when John Mellencamp decided to quit music, he said he was going to quit music for three years. He was burnt out after the Lonesome Jubilee tour. Uh, everybody stayed pretty much in Indiana, not me. I went out to L.A. I got called to do sessions, but then I'd stayed in L.A. and started making phone calls and meeting people and going to clubs. And, and, and you know, I had enough of a reputation because I was on with the Mellencamp band and was selling out arenas and I was on MTV. And then people started getting the word out. Then all of a sudden I get a gig. I start getting hired by really you know, some real important, significant producers. And I was, as Don was said, in my autobiography, Sex, Drums, Rock and Roll, Kenny saves my sessions. He motivates the room. I mean, that's why he would hire me. So the word got out. And then I was on a number one hit single by Belinda Carlisle, Carlisle Heaven on Earth. Who's that? Oh, that's Kenny Arnold. Uh Okay, then I'm on a Blaze of Glory album by, with Bon Jovi in 1992. That's the number I think it was the number one hit single. Who's that? That's Kenny Aronoff. Stuff like that started happening. People then I put drums. I was working in LA a lot. Then I had two drums. I had drums in and uh, New York. And then I got. And then I went after Nashville. I sent faxes out to 25 producers in Nashville. And then I put two sets of drums in Nashville. And uh, I started now having drums in Nashville, Indiana, New York, L.A. And then eventually I had a drum set in Germany and a drum set in Japan. And the word just kept getting out. I kept building the brand and I never said no. When I was on tour in 96, uh, 11 months of touring, six and a half with uh, Bob Seger and three and a half well, maybe that's 10 months of touring, three and a half with uh, Melissa Etheridge at the end of her three and a half tour, year, uh, year tour, I managed to do 20 albums on my days off. Fly anywhere because I was building my, my brand. I was building my, my reputation as a session guy out while I was still on tour. And, you know, after years and years and years of that hard work and never saying no and, and having the right attitude and always adjusting and always wanting to be great and trying to get better, always trying to get better, you that builds a reputation and builds a, a brand. So obviously it sounds like you've learned the business side very quickly of the industry, well, yeah, that's for well, sure. Without, without even my instincts, yeah. I mean, I, I can't say that I was a genius about it, meaning I was just doing what was instinctively right, you know, and now I look back, I can connect the dots. Mm -hmm. uh, and I understand, you know. I mean, people are feeling creatures, man. It gets down to still how you treat people, how you act, what you're and how you treat people and how you act. It comes through in the way you play. And so it gets down to that, you know. Comes down to one word you said earlier, feeling. Yeah, absolutely. We're feeling creatures. Absolutely. I agree with you. I couldn't so, agree more. So uh, Uncommon Studios LA, what is that? So that's my studio. That's why I do um, 
uh, I record drums for people. Uh, what I saw when I saw the writing on the wall, when you know, when when records suddenly were free and there was no, I saw budgets changing, and uh, so I eventually created my own studio, and I just did something for Edgar Winter, for Johnny. Uh, his Johnny Winter tribute record was going to be badass. I've done Access TV, Sammy Hagar's, oh, maybe a couple of weeks ago it came, it was on Access, Sammy Hagar's road trip uh, episode was done there. I've done uh, Trace Atkins stuff. I've done music for all kinds of people. People send me files. I write charts out and I record drums in my studio with, I have incredible equipment. I have an engineer and I send the tracks out and, um, you get the you get Kenny Aronoff at an affordable price, you know, and it's uh, I saw the writing on the wall. Now recently I've converted Uncommon Studios. Not only do I do drums and percussion there, but I also now do my virtual corporate speaking there. For the uh, I, I've got that business I started about five years ago. Uh, it happened kind of just I fell into it, but I developed a a inspirational speech and a and a, a motivational speech uh, where I perform and lecture and talk. It's it's scripted out and I've got pictures, I've got movies, uh, perf and like I said, I perform and there's a message there that's to, you know, make people feel good and help them uh, both in their career and their 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 personal life. Uh, and I do that all out of Uncommon Studios in North Hollywood. It's probably about six miles from my house, and I live in Studio City. Nice. Uh, how is it going to? You know, it's interesting that you mention about people will send you files, then you'll play and add everything to it. I, you know, I don't play music, but it's almost like role reverse there, if that makes sense. Because I've always heard that the drummer leads and drummer sets the pace for everything. So if somebody sends you a file, how, how does that work? Okay, here's how it works. So I ask people to send me the demo so I can hear the song. Then I ask them, this is if they don't have Pro Tools, and the people who don't know what Pro Tools are, Pro Tools is just a digital way of recording. Uh, it's been around for a while. It's a fast way to edit. It's a fast way to do many, multiple takes. It doesn't sound exactly like tape, that's for sure. Tape has a certain sound to it, but it's very easy to work with. So if they send me a Pro Tools file, I can literally open up their Pro Tools file and have the complete session with all the tracks, bass, guitars, keyboards, vocals, click track. I asked for a click track. Now, and then I can then import their session into, or my drums, I'll import all my 16 tracks of drums without recorded parts into their session and then record my drums in their session. Now, if they don't, have the Pro Tools files to send me and they use a different format, I ask for an MP3 of the song with the program that they used for their demo and I ask for an MP3 of a click, separate. It's the click track they used in the session. And then I ask for them to give me the demo without drums. And what I do is I take the demo without drums and I put that into my Pro Tools a session, I take the click and put it in there, and I can mix how loud the click and the, and the music is. I then ask everybody, are you keeping any of the parts that I'm playing to? If they aren't, I focus on the click, and I play precisely with that click with a lot of feel. If it, they're keeping 
the parts like the guitars and the vocals and the bass. I have to make sure that I play with the, those parts and make the click softer because sometimes those those people have sent me stuff are not playing perfectly in time. But to make it sound good, I've got to adapt and play kind of where, well, not kind of, exactly where they are. So it sounds like we're a band. Now, I listen back. This is very key. With all my experience, 300 million records sold I've been on, I listen back and ask myself, does this sound like we played together in the room at the same time? That's what I'm going for. Because I've done it so much that way, I know what it should sound like. So I'm trying to make it sound like we all played together. Well, two questions with that. A, do you drive yourself nuts nitpicking? But also, from your side of things, because you mentioned Pro Tools and such, the evolution of technology over the years, from starting up in the late 70s, early 80s there, to where we're at now. Well, um, I am a stickler. I'm a hyper achiever, which means I, I go after everything aggressively, uh, passionately. Uh, I'm a stickler, so I want things to be done right. I'm a pleaser because I like to, it makes me feel good when somebody feels good. So those three things really help me uh, be a, a servant to the song, to the music. Um, what I do is I make a detailed chart with that MP3 I was telling you about with the drums. I write every note out, and then I'll run through it so that when I start recording, I'm performing. I'm full on, man. When that, so we start recording, I'm trying to make a drum. my drums sound so good and feel so good and so much energy or passion that it will make the song sound better if I'm on it as opposed to anybody else. And so that's what drives me, and I know... I imagine, even though there's nobody in the room with me, I imagine that we are playing together, and because I've done that so much, it's it's not hard to to imagine. I mean, it'd be like playing on in a recording session with your eyes closed, or playing on stage with your eyes closed. You know, you know they're there. Well, once all this bullshit with COVID's all over with, and we go back to a uh, old normal, is there going to be a time where musicians get back together and play in a room instead of doing it. I'm going to play here in Nashville and the guitar players in LA and you know what I'm saying? Everybody's spread out. Absolutely. Oh, of course it will. It might take longer than we hope, but yeah, there's no question because people still want to see people interact. They want to see people on stage looking at each other and you know, like I said, humans are feeling creatures. So yeah, it, it will eventually all be back together. Um, next year there'll be some 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 stuff, but uh, the full blown out like nine weeks straight of touring, that I don't know when that's going to come back because there's so many moving parts with all the venues and the musicians and the travel and the backstage clean is the, the the truck clean or the planes clean or the buses clean is where the audience comes in clean is the audience clean you know it's just <laughs> so. So many moving parts. So it's going to slowly, gradually, there'll be some things happening next year. But the full-on stuff, I have no idea. Yeah, nobody has that answer for sure. But I was yeah. actually thinking more along the lines of the recording side of things. Oh, recording? I'm recording yeah. Wednesday. I'm recording Wednesday on a Triumph. I'm doing a, I'm doing, I did a song for Triumph, the band from, uh, from Canada, 
uh, I, I did a Triumph uh, song, and uh, I'm going to do two on Wednesday. And I'm excited, yeah. You know, we'll wear masks and keep a, a reasonable distance. I, I truly believe the people that are really, really have a great immune systems and they have their health hasn't been compromised at all are going to be able to deal with this uh, new uh, virus in a healthy way. Uh, I'm extremely healthy. That doesn't mean I didn't. I went to the dentist today. I wore my plastic rubber gloves and I wore a mask. But I let the dentist work on me and, uh, you know, and wash my hands. And uh, I try to be as healthy. You know, I take my shoes off and leave them outside. I'm doing all the right things. But um, I, I'm, I'm, not af- I'm not afraid. Of course, you know, I keep a distance when I'm in the studio because I don't know where those people have been. They got to keep a distance from me. And, that, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's not – there's a lot of people that don't want to listen to people who were trained in. Yeah. The medical field, you know, you know, it's you know, without getting political or anything, it's it's uh, everybody should do the best they can do. That's what I'm saying. Do the best that you can do and be considerate of other people. Maybe you're healthy, but maybe maybe you're caring and somebody else isn't healthy. So keep a distance. If if you don't, if you see somebody there and I like, I want to work, I want to go to the session. Well, I'm so excited to be doing the session. Well, I'm gonna, you know. Keep a distance. I'm gonna wear a mask. When I'm recording, I won't wear a mask. But I'll from the drums will not be next to somebody. Wash my hands and do everything I can to be healthy in that the, environment. The common and, sense things. Yeah, be grateful I'm there. You know, uh, and you know, uh, okay. So you know, I'm be, right now. LA's in a big lockdown. So the only place I'm going is to my studio. Well, the only place in my in my studio is me. Now, if my engineer works with me, we have a, a discussion about where you've been, who you've been around. And if we have to, we keep a distance. We were aware of it. I wear the mask going into my the studio. There's a hallway with other people. I have the mask on. I wash my hands. I have the gloves on. And then it's really only the studio, gas for the car, grocery store. Grocery store, I pick one. At, I go when it's late at night when nobody's around and everybody's pretty respectful at this one place called Gelson's. It's a little bit high end, so it's not packed, you know, and be smart. So the lockdown started today. I got, I went grocery shopping last night. I'm <laughs> like, I'm aware of it. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned about your time with the Kennedy Center Honors. How cool of an experience was that? Because I enjoy watching those shows year to year. That was the Super Bowl. I went to the Super Bowl seven years in a row. That was that is the highest end, highest level you can go. First of all, you have to be able to read music like a mofo, but you got to be so good at that you can make it sound like you're not reading. Second of all, you're the President of the United States is there. A lot of politicians, a lot of uh, Hollywood, uh, a very a lot of dignitaries. This is. It's a it's a, a high ticket price and and may, in many cases invitation only. It's a it's a it's it's a high pressure very high pressure gig. You won't even know the songs you're playing until a week before. You have to be able to I I I find out who the artists are. It might be seven artists honoring one of the artists I'm playing for. So I'll give you an example. First year, I am the drummer in the band. 
This big uh, Kennedy Center Honors Band, maybe about 13 to 15 with background singers and some and horns. So we're honoring the Who. All right, so I'm going to be playing seven Who songs with the Who up there with the president watching me. That was everybody but Keith Moon at that. No, and Twistle wasn't there either. Didn't matter. It's Roger Daltrey and, uh, you know, Pete Townsend, my heroes. I'm also, but I'm also, I'm performing with Dave Grohl and Chris Cornell from uh, Audio Slave and, and Soundgarden. I'm, uh, I can't remember all the other artists. But then I'm also in that same show honoring George Jones, one of the greatest country artists ever. Now, that's a whole different style of music and a whole different set of country artists that are coming on stage. You know, the, the baddest ass country artists, total different style. So... I find out what songs we're doing a week before. I make charts from the record. Then I look on YouTube. What's the latest version? And I make charts of that. And then it, when I did Sting, honoring Sting, I Bruno Mars was one of the singers. Then I noticed that I went on YouTube and saw that Bruno Mars did a police medley. So I made a chart, a third chart, of what his band did when they did like Roxanne and Message in a Bottle and... Uh, and then when I get there, get there on a Thursday night, Friday morning, I go early to the Kennedy Center Honors, and I have, there are drums on the stage, uh, you know, on the stage area, but then there's drums in the rehearsal place at Kennedy Center, and I have to tweak those drums to make them right, because I have, there's a guy who sets them up, but he's not my personal tech, so I'm tweaking them. Then I'm waiting for the MD to come in with his charts, he comes in with his charts and there's all kinds of edits. I have to immediately, I'm waiting desperately to find out what song we're doing first. As soon as I know what song we're doing, I'm converting his letters, letter A, letter B, letter C, to my charts. And I'm noticing all kinds of changes with, with measures and sections. I make that adjustment. Then we start rehearsing. There's more adjustments. I'm writing, scribbling, tempo changes, field changes, beat changes. And then we go to the next artist, the next artist, the next artist. Then we have lunch. Then the artists come and we make more changes. And then, then that night, I go home. That's a Friday night. And I rewrite all the charts now for two three hours to get ready for the next day we go in the next day we do a camera block then i rehearse songs for the country artists through that whole process again sunday i come in camera block for the country artists then we do a complete run through by the way i've gone to war wardrobe and all kinds of other stuff then we do a complete run through of the entire show. So there's five people being honored, actor, dancer, country artist, uh, the, the, the Who in this case, and there's a sequence. And, and oh, I know, we do a run through without the artists. It's to do camera blocking and to film the band. And dude, it's like, you gotta do it perfect because they may edit, make edits. They will be doing edits on the band for when they go into post later on for the show. Dude, it is high pressure. And then after we're done with that, I got three hours, I think I go, or two hours. I go back to the hotel. I switch into stage clothes. Then I come back, and I'm running over, beginning 
to the end. I went through all my charts and getting used to the sequence and remembering and remembering. Everything's written down. So, you know, oh man, when we were honoring Springsteen, I remember right before we started that segment, it was the last segment of the Kennedy Center Honors of that night, Sting comes up to me and he has a, wants me to do something in the in the second verse where it breaks down. Dude, I've got to go and write it down on my chart very boldly. You don't want to make a mistake when you're playing with Sting. Dude, mm-hmm. it is high, high pressure. And if you make a mistake, maybe you'll get forgiven or you might not get asked back next time. It's that simple. So this is the highest level. It's no joke. And to, and to go further... Not only do I learn my parts, like I said, but I have to figure out what I talk to the musical director, what songs am I counting off? What songs are you counting off? Do you need me to give you tempos? And then there's other times I have to talk to the stage manager. If Since I'm the one who's counting the band off, I talk to the stage manager. Say, is there any cues? You Would you please signal me with the light? when to count off the song so that Lady Gaga, as she's walking out, I'm already counting off the song or whatever. And then I talk to the producer. I mean, I get the script of the show. I know the flow is way more to it than just playing drums. Exactly. But, you know, with that, you know, like you said, you, you don't get the list of songs till like a week out or whatever. With those seven years, has there ever been a song or two that would surprise you that would be included. Like you said, there's the who, and I love me George Jones, but you know, there's certain songs that would stand out. Oh yeah. Certain artists. Would there be something that surprised you? Hey, we're going to throw this in a mix too. Yeah. There was some, well, what surprised me more was what songs aren't we doing? Why aren't we doing that? But what happens is the, it's between the producers of the show the musical director and the artist, what do they want to do? Lady Gaga, these are the list of songs we want to do. We think this is a great song for you. What do you think? Oh, I love that song. Or no, I prefer to do this song. There's a lot of talk behind the scenes. So I remember, you know, so yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're going to honor Sting, holy shit, what do you do? There's all the police and all the Sting songs. And then there's, uh, and then when you're honoring uh, Springsteen, oh my God, which look songs? at that catalog. I mean, look at that catalog. So, I, there's a discussion, and I know that the final song, like when we honored Springsteen, we did the Rising with Sting singing. Da 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 da, Rising, da 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 da, because we knew you could bring the choir, and all of a sudden the drapes go, the, you know, the, the curtain goes up, and the at, at the end, la da la da 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 da, and the whole hundred piece choir is singing it, and it's so spectacular. So you know, Sting with that song, the Rising, the way it builds, it's going to be spectacular, and Sting agrees to it let me think for the police i believe it was i think it was the bruno mars medley because he did uh we did roxanne message in a bottle and a couple other ones um and 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 oh see what would bring uh there's something that uh, always brings in a choir no i think it was springsteen was the last one that's it springsteen did um he sang Human Touch, maybe? I don't know. I can't remember. Maybe it was Bruno Mars, but I can't remember. Whatever it was, it was spectacular. And they, 
there's a lot of talk about what to do, you know, and I, you know, God, there's so many great stories. I, I was, I remember I was in Nova Scotia on tour with Fogarty. It was August. I'm getting a little restless. I haven't heard about the Kennedy Center on it. So I'm thinking, oh man, I hope I'm getting asked back. And so I text the, the producer, uh, Michael, um, I called my, I text Michael and, uh, I go, Michael, dude, what's up? You know, and he texts me back. There's going to be a black, there's going to be a black dog with a lot of rock and roll this year. And I went, are you kidding? That's Led Zeppelin. And he said, <laughs> yep. And I'm like, dude, I know all those songs. I can't wait. What do you got to do rock and roll? You got to do Black Dog. I know a great medley of rock and roll and Black Dog. Roy Zeppelin's a great combo. You got to do Stairway to Heaven. And you got to do a whole lot of love. And I'm going crazy. And, and two weeks later, I get a call from Michael. and says, Kenny, I got, I got great news, man. We got the Foo Fighters are going to do it. And I says, awesome. What are they playing? Black Dog and rock and roll. And I went, so I'm not doing that one. He says, nope. I'm like, well, you got the Foo Fighters. That's awesome. Who are my friends? And then he said, hey, Ken, um, I got a question for you. You know, for Stairway to Heaven, who do you think would do a better job, uh, Beth Hart or Hart, the band Hart? I went, well, both of them can sing the piss out of that song. Oh, my God, Beth Hart singing Stairway to Heaven or Ann Wilson. But I said, but you know what? I have to say that Hart used to do a lot of Zeppelin when they were kids. In, in Seattle. Uh, and so they went with them. But then they say, <laughs> he called me back and says, uh, Jason Bonham's going to play with Hart. And I mm -hmm. went, oh, well, of course. you got to have Jason Bonham there. And and that was a cool thing because from that point forward, uh, I, the, John, Jason Bonham with his Bonham, you know, he d does a show, became the opening act for Hart for a while. But, you know, um, I got to do a whole lot of love with Lenny Kravitz and ramble on with uh, Kid Rock. So, you know, I was, oh, God, you know, and you're playing right there in front of Zeppelin, all three guys besides, not Bonham, of course. And I got to hang with them, you know, and talk to them. Oh, man, forget about it. Unbelievable. Man, you, you know, I mean, jeez. <laughs> who would have who thought? I, mean, I go up to Jimmy Page and I went, hey, Jimmy, man, uh, what do you think of us, you know, doing Ramble On differently? You know, what do you think when you see us us do a different interpretation of the Led Zeppelin? He says, oh, I love it, mate. We used to do it different every night anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh, I'm sure there was a couple of reasons why that was done differently. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even remember why. <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. Dude, that was, what are we uh, doing? <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm stuck in the elevator with Herbie Hancock, an idol of mine. I mean, I was listening to Miles Davis when I was a kid, and I'm like, who's this guy, Herbie? He was this fuck teenager. It was Herbie Hancock, Tony Williams, uh, Ron Carter, I think. I mean, dude, yeah, I'm playing with Herbie, and, you know, and he came out with, you know, God, those first two albums, solo albums he came up with. You know, and, I, and one of the greatest albums, the second of the one I'm talking about is called Thrust. One of the greatest records ever made. There's a song called Actual Proof that is the funkiest, you know, uh, 
Starts on beat two, the melody. One, two, three, four, one. And they're like unbelievable. And they solo through this thing. And I'm like, I'm in the elevator with Herbie. I went, dude, dude, I got to ask you. Dude, I got to ask you, what was it like recording actual proof? Was it like 100,000 takes? He went, actually, we weren't getting it at all. And the engineer, and we thought, you know what? Nah, forget about it. And the engineer or somebody in there, of a producer said, nah, do it one more time. And they did it one more time. And it just hooked up. And now that's become like the stairway to heaven for Herbie Hancock. And I got to hear that story right from the, the mouth of Herbie Hancock. Phony from the mouth of babes, you know. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. You know, to be able to have a conversation and or I walk into uh, the after party of, uh, it was the Zeppelin one. Yeah, I think it was, this, was it the Zeppelin one. Yeah, I think so. Uh, wait a minute. Yeah, it was Zeppelin, I think. And uh, they did, uh, they honored Tom Hanks and, I recorded that thing you do, that drum, you know, I don't sing good, but anyway, it's that thing you do. And so I'm walking into the after party and Tom Hanks is holding court and he goes, Kenny, he loves me because that's where he met me when I did that thing you do. He was in the studio and um He's always been like such a fan. He stops, he's talking to Spielberg, Herbie Hancock, Sting. Oh, we were honoring Sting, that's what it was. And he starts talking to me. Like, everybody turns their head like, who's he talking to? And he says, yeah, I was up there with my wife, Rita. And we said, I said, I think that's Kenny Aronoff up there. If Kenny's up there, it's going to rock tonight. (laughs) And Sting comes flying across the room, gives me a hug and a kiss, says, you killed it tonight. Because he was being honored. And then Springsteen's there. And he says, hey, Kenny, man, man, it was really good, man. You you did a great job. I mean, I'm like peeing in my pants, you know. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, I'll, I'll say that I agree with you as far as Springsteen, because I'm a South Jersey guy, Philly oh, area. Dude, come on. And I was up in New York, I guess, three years ago at this point, just passing through get ready to head back home. And it was right in the neighborhood where he was doing his uh, one-man show. Oh, wow. And I was within like three or four feet of him. And I'm like, I almost peed myself. You know, because you know how Bruce is. It's like, yeah, he's like God yeah. <laughs> in this area. It's a cool. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, my God. Dude, unbelievable. I played with him so many times. He sat in with Fogarty, sat in with Mellencamp, sat in with Melissa Etheridge, all three artist and he sat in with us live and boy when he walks on stage (laughs) he walks very stoically and the audience i mean it just commands royalty yeah he commands royalty and it's on and he's so nice he'll come right up to me say hey kenny really nice yeah god we played with him uh 80 people in hyde park with springsteen it was the night that uh, McCartney came on later on, did like a three-hour show, and they finally pulled the plug on him because they had a curfew. And uh, but I was there playing with Fogarty opening up, and he came on stage with us. 
And I remember walking off stage, ah, just walking with him, talking a little bit. It was, it was unbelievable. But let's take you out of the picture for a second here for my final question. And obviously you've played with Dave Grohl and for Ringo at the CBS show and you've interacted with all these different musicians over years, over the years. Yeah. Best drummer that you can think of. Well, in jazz, if I have to narrow it down, because there's a lot of them, Buddy Rich. Uh, if I have to narrow it down to rock and roll, John Bonham. Uh, you know, th that's pretty much it. I mean, there's so many great drummers, great drummers. But if I had to, those are the ones. And some of it has to do with Bonham. It's because the band he was in, the parts he came up with, he did everything right. He was creative. He had a great feel, great sounds, great everything. And it was one album after another. It wasn't one record. It wasn't two records. It wasn't three records. It was a fuckload of great records. And that's why I... There was not one song that he did that wasn't amazing. You take a simple song like Cashmere, and John's just doing gut, gut, goot, gut, goo do, gut, do do do, gut, boom, boom, not even boom, 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 gut, every song, do good, gut. I mean, dude, his placement, his feel, his sound, why did he do that? Why didn't he do something else? He was uh, uh, extremely off the charts gifted. Well, is there any up and coming musicians or drummers that you say this one's got something special? Uh, people ask me that all the time. You know, I don't. I'm so busy doing my own thing. I'm not checking out a lot of drummers. There's a lot of drummers on the internet that are bad mofo's uh, that are so talented, have so much. Uh, you know, I'm very open-minded. When I see somebody play, I usually can see something amazing out of everybody. I'm like, wow, I love that feel because everybody has a different personality. Everybody has a different feel. Everybody has a different voice. So if they can get that to come out and they're playing, you're going to be special and unique. So I don't have a drummer. I'm going to go, oh, yeah, man, this kid, blah, 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 blah. I mean, this, you guys, I'm watching them seeing like, Eight-year-old girls playing drums. Dave Grohl's been doing this little drum thing back and forth with this cute little girl from England, with, you know, screaming and playing, and she's amazing. I don't, yeah, she's she's a, she's amazing. You know, I don't know if she, you know, who knows what what happens to these people. I don't know. Sometimes they burn out before they become big, and just because you're great at eight or just because you're great at twenty doesn't mean you're going to have a career. It's way more than talent, folks. It's all this other stuff, connecting, communicating, collaborating, creativity, innovation. Are you easy? Like as John Mellencamp said, hey, man, I can get plenty of musicians to play with me. I want people I get along with. I want people I get along with. And I only am on stage with uh, you for three hours. The rest of the time, I want people I get along with on the bus. And the word hasn't been mentioned here, but I would think... Uh people would pick up on it uh, just based on your whole story that we talked about hustle. You got to include the hustle. Yo, yeah. Uh, I guess that would tie into the word hard work. Yeah. I mean, you know, every day wasted is a day wasted in your life. And there aren't that many days. Ask yourself how many years are left in your life? How many months are left? 
<laughs> how many weeks? How many birthdays? How many birthdays are you going to have? It's under 100 for most of us. 100? 100 is nothing. 100 of anything is nothing. <laughs> reminds, me of this, reminds me of the song Kenny Chesney did, Don't Blink. It was like that. Yeah, it does. So I'm enjoying every moment. If I got struck by lightning, they, you know, I'd be happy that I had this incredible life, but I do value every day going forward and every moment I'm in. Well, social media-wise, are you a big user? And if so, yeah. where can people find you? I got about 300,000 followers on between Instagram, Facebook fan page, Facebook main page, uh, which is tapped out, everybody. I'm like, I got 2,000 people wanting to be my friend, but I only allow 5,000. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Aronoff Official, Instagram, Kenny Aronoff, LinkedIn also. I, I used to post every day, but I, I don't every, every day. I just did this great post with Mighty Paul. He's about twice or three times my size. And uh, it, I said to him yesterday, I said, Mighty Paul, I've been always wanting to ask you a question. What razor do you use? Because he's bald like me. And he said, well, Kenny, I use a Schick. I went, wow, I use a Mach 5 Gillette. <laughs> Schick saw this and they said, wait a minute, we got to get some Schick blades to Kenny Aronoff. <laughs> it's like, bam. So anyway, yeah, and I have a website, you know, www.kennyaronoff.com, which will lead you to my speaking page if you want to see me talk about some inspirational things. And uh, that's how you can find me, man. People reach out to me. They want me on the record. They go to my website. I also have an Uncommon Studios website page, Uncommon Studios LA website page, and you can fill out a form and... You, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my whole fee structure and away we go. Well, Kenny, thank you so much for the time. Awesome, dude. Awesome. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again down the road. Oh, most definitely. There's more to touch on. Try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts, there's bound to be injuries. <laughs> now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars. Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend whilst in Sail Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, 
the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Oh, yeah. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh my god. Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. You're naughty. This medicine is made for extreme cases of being keel or having extreme depression. Oh, come on. Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increasing amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my. Hi everybody, I'm Steve Warner, and you are listening to Crazy Train Radio. 